you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Come on! Uh, Get in there, Maverick! It's no good. Cornelius and I have been indicted for heresy. It is evil. It is so evil. It is a bad, bad plan. Well, if you haven't died laughing yet, welcome to the first expansion of the Practical Theology Ministries podcast universe. Yes, that's what we're going to go with now. We are now expanding the universe into a little series that we are going to call Heretics. <laughs> the fun stuff, you know, the guys throughout church history. I say guys, there's probably going to be some women involved in this too, but predominantly men because, let's be honest, we do the best job of messing things up most of the time. The guys throughout church history that have gotten it wrong the best, you know, the ones that are really, really famous, some of them will be biblical. Some of them will be post-biblical, meaning church history folks. Depends on my mood during the week and what time we have to do some research on some things and, and deal with it from that perspective. Now, the goal of this is going to be, as with everything, to get us back to Scripture, to get us back to looking at things rightly and not just going, dirty, rotten, evil, heretic, but actually doing all of that and then explaining why. Because that's going to be the key. If we can't actually explain why, we really haven't accomplished a whole heck of a lot, and we aren't really doing the right thing as Christians who are making disciples, defending the faith, and proclaiming the truth in a world that so needs to hear it. So, with all of that said as way of introduction, I, because we are flying solo today, there is no Lou, there is no Cameron to save you from me, so we'll get through this together and it will be okay. But I have gathered together this week with you to tell you that, you know, you probably shouldn't murder people and worship God wrongly. And you're like, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of got that one. Common sense, didn't need to be told that. Yes, you did. Humanity needed to be told that, and that is where we will start with our first heretic, <laughs> who is actually our first human heretic. I mean, I guess you could maybe argue for Adam and Eve and their bad theology on trusting God, but the first real material heretic of Scripture, and that is the person of Cain. Now, what makes Cain so much fun? Simple. We actually have him in Scripture. He's our buddy. He's our pal. Not, not really. Don't. Don't, don't invite him out to dinner. That would be bad. So before we go anywhere, though, let's make sure we actually know who he is because we really don't have a lot about him, but enough to, uh, to figure out what went wrong. So Genesis chapter 4, read with me, if you will. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. All right, hold on. We're going to pause real quick here because this is something that's important. We've got to make sure that we cover and we don't miss this as we go through. Because... The birth of children is actually a fulfillment of promise. Remember, Genesis 3.15, we're waiting for the son of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. We haven't had that yet, so we're still waiting on it. So every time a child is born, we have hope. This might actually be the kid. So we have two here. 
Bad news. Verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now Cain told, his, told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? If you ever wonder where that phrase came from, there you go, Genesis 4-9. He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. No, I don't have a better dramatic voice for that. You're just going to have to live with it. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. By the way, notice that it doesn't say eternally. Cain's still not walking around the earth somewhere like Kung Fu style. It doesn't say he will eternally wander. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Now, there's your introduction. You know who we're dealing with. You know what has gone on. Now, let's first do the... uh, the really easy part of this, because you're all going to agree with me. Why is he a heretic? What makes Cain the evil one here? You're going, well, duh, he killed somebody. And I would agree with you completely, but let's make sure we can always, always, always justify ourselves from Scripture. So let's start with First John chapter 3. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. You want more proof of the righteousness of Abel, just in case? At Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Jude 11 is our other mention point. Woe to them, that them is the false teachers that Jude is dealing with, for they have gone the way of Cain. Now, you're probably going, how does this help? Why do you, we get it, he was bad and he was sinful, but why do you label him a heretic? Well, we label Cain a heretic, or at least I do, because he is a false teacher. The actions aren't necessarily the problem. Don't go killing people. The problem is the heart behind the action, the thing that starts it all off and ends in a bad place. So Hebrews 11 is why we are going here. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Okay, wait a minute. 
What was wrong with the sacrifice? So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, people have made a big deal about this. Well, see, Abel brought the firstlings, and Cain doesn't bring the first fruits. Well, you don't sacrifice the adults anyway. That's the first starting point. But the second point is, what is the purpose of the sacrifice? See, this is important. Because I think this is one of the best answer that we're going to get here and why we're calling Cain a heretic. If the point of Scripture, and I think it is, is to testify to Christ, and everything in Scripture is to point to the glorious salvation that God will bring about through the work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for sins, then we have to remember that what comes later in the law is based upon the character and nature of God, and that has been the same from the very beginning. Meaning, there has always been the necessity of a sacrifice of blood for the covering of sins. Why do I say that? Well, I think I can justify that fairly easily by going to things like Genesis chapter 3. See, we make a big deal and we forget about these things. But Adam and Eve covered themselves with what? They covered themselves with leaves. They do not leave the garden, see what I did there, with leaves. Uh, The Lord God said, I'm sorry, did I get the wrong spot? I'm looking at the wrong thing. Yep, I am. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You're going, okay. I I failed to see what the big deal about that is. Well, the big deal about that is that God has actually made a sacrifice for Adam and Eve. He has slaughtered an animal on their behalf, covering their sin. What was the symbol of their sin? The thing that they recognized about themselves was that they were naked. So their nakedness is a, I don't want to say equal to, but it is a, a visual representation of their knowledge of sin. The shame of their nakedness is the shame of their sin. God covers their sin, covers their shame by making garments out of an animal. Now, last I checked, animals don't give you their skin willingly. Nobody's ever, you know, gone kayaking down the Nile and just had an alligator spontaneously give him some boots. You have to take it, which means the animal was slaughtered by God. Adam and Eve never killed anything. They're tending the garden. Food doesn't come in from animals until after the flood in Genesis 9. So at this point, nothing's ever died before. Nothing's ever been killed. God has now slaughtered an animal on their behalf and made coverings for them. He has prefigured and prefigured and pre-shown. I can't think of the word. And you know what? I'm not going to worry about thinking of the word. The work of Christ who will die on behalf of sinners. Now, when you fast forward, do you think Adam and Eve forgot that lesson? Do you think they just like miraculously were like, you know what? God killed an animal and covered our nakedness. You the kids, do what you want. Worship this God however you choose. Well, no. They've learned the penalty of disobedience. They're living in a world that is not the world that they have known. They're living in existence that is not the existence that they have known. They are seeing the consequences of their sin in real time. I think they would have explained to the kids what right worship is. Hence the reason you have Abel offering a good sacrifice because it is the sacrifice that covers sin. It is an animal, blood for blood, life for life. Conversely, you have Cain bringing 
fruit. Now, yes, there are fruit offerings, there are grain offerings, but this is not what we have going on. We are not making the sin offering rightly if you are Cain. We are not providing blood for blood, life for life, demonstrating a seriousness of sin. And even more so, you have Cain being angry. I mean, this is important. If you were told your sacrifice was no good by God, don't you think you just turn around and go get a good one? Well, see, that would be what normal people would do, but not the rebel sinner. Cain wants to sacrifice and worship to God according to Cain's terms and Cain's standard, not his own. That is not allowed. That is not how this is going to go down and what is going to happen. Cain is our first heretic. He is redefining worship. He is redefining his relationship with God on his terms. This is not how any of this is supposed to work, and it is not how any of this will ever work moving forward. This is why we get the law that we get in the Old Testament. God goes to great lengths to explain and demonstrate to us through the law what holiness looks like, how it is achieved, how it is lived out, and how we stand in his presence. To forsake that is to forsake holiness, to forget about the right worship of God, and to look to yourself as the standard, to make an idol of your own self and your own ideals. Welcome to the life of Cain. I will determine what my sacrifice is. I will determine what my worship is, and I will do everything in my power to accomplish that. And when I don't like it, because you don't like it, well, I will lash out at you, and since... And since Cain can't get to God, he gets to the next best thing in his mind, the creation of God that he loves. The son, Abel, who he might be the son, we know that he isn't, but in Cain's mind he might be, the beloved of God, the accepted of God, the lashing out against the people of God by the not people of God. By the way, that hasn't changed in human history. You see it from the very beginning, from the very first heretic. Now, that's all well and good. We can identify the problem. What we need to be able to do, though, is also identify the solution. So we're going to go to the law. Uh, following Nadab and Abihu, uh, Aaron's sons who offered a wrong sacrifice before God and were killed by fire, Moses said to Aaron, Leviticus 10, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. Therefore, Aaron kept silent. Aaron's keeping silent because he doesn't get to complain about his kids being killed by God because his kids have sinned against God, failed to treat him as holy. What's more important, Aaron, your children and their lives or the holiness of God? We may not like it, but the answer is the holiness of God. Now, that's a direct, that's a pointing in the right direction. I think Romans 10 gives us a second one. When Paul is talking about the Jews and their their lack of faith and their pursuit of God wrongly. I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now that's important because what we're being told is Abel's access to God, his mediation to God was the flock that he sacrificed or the member of the flock that he sacrificed. Cain's lack of access through holiness to God was because of his lack of a sacrifice. This is why 1 Timothy 2 is so important. There is one God, 
one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Now, I say all that because the world doesn't want to deal with this. The world wants its way and its standard. Christian, we must be capable of explaining right worship and right religion. And yes, I said the dirty R word. I know this is probably not so much of a thing now. But for years we made this big thing in evangelical Christianity that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And, and that's half true because Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with God based on the work of Christ. But I got news for you. It's a religion. It, it is. We have ordinances, we have rites, we have ritual, we have all of this. Why do we gather and partake of the Lord's Supper? Why do we engage in baptism? Because we've been commanded to. Those are ordinances of obedience to faith that have been commanded by Christ that his people who love him by their faith engage in as a way of demonstrating their devotion, worship, and service. That's religion. Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake the assembling of the saints. This is why we go to church. This is why we listen to sermons. This is why we sing. This is why we read scripture. This is why we do everything that we do, because it has been commanded of God, and the people who love him desire to engage in these things because they are the expressions of our worship. Meaning, if you are pulling the Lone Ranger Christian gag— I don't need God, or I don't need church. I only need God and, and my Bible, and that's all I need. What you are saying is the commands of Jesus to walk with one another don't matter to you. The commands to be a part of his covenant people don't matter to you. The commands to disciple other Christians in an organized setting don't matter to you. What you're saying is Christ doesn't matter to you because you're not worshiping him. You're worshiping the one made in your image. You are rushing along into the error of Cain. You are going his way, entering into your worship, your religion, your Christianity, which is really no Christianity at all. The one another's matter. The accountability to the body matters. Communion of the saints, communion over the cup and the bread matters. Christian baptism matters. Bible reading, prayer matter. Actual holy living by faith matters, not because they save us, but because they demonstrate a love of and obedience to the God who has saved us. To forsake the right worship proper organization, and good religion that God through Christ has wrought by Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, to forsake that is to forsake the salvation, to forsake the actual redemptive work of Christ. It is to stand with Cain in the line of Satan and be a fist shaker, to say, no, I will worship how I want, when I want, where I want, and you can't tell me any different. Well, I'm not. God is. Don't take it up with me. Take it up with him. That's where your problem lies. That's where the rubber is actually going to meet the road in Christian circles. Now, if your argument is, but dude, have you seen the churches that I actually have access to? No. Can't be any worse than the ones I've had access to. 
See, because you're never going to find a perfect church. Because if you did, you'd mess it up as soon as you join, just like I mess up every good church that I join. Because I'm not good, and we all have our problems. The point of church is not that is not that we are perfect. It is not that we are walking around on eggshells with other people. It is the one place that we can gather together and say, oh, dude. You would not believe the problems that I've had. You would not believe the struggles that I've walked. You will not believe the sin that I have overcome and am struggling with. Because we all look at each other and go, yep, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and I'm going to get another one next week. The body of believers engaging in the right worship of God are demonstrating to an outside world that this is serious. And when we fail to take the worship of God seriously, the communion with his people seriously, what we tell the world is that God isn't serious, that we can do what we want, we can live how we want, we can worship how we want, and God doesn't care because he's just so loving and amazing. He is, but because he has declared it, because he has demonstrated it and he has provided, no, all the roads don't lead to the same place. They can't. Absolutely, positively cannot. Instead, the road that is Christ, paved down through the centuries by the blood of the sacrifices of the covenant, paid for and forwarded on by the blood of the martyrs of the church, from Abel to Zechariah, through the temple, through all of that, through the blood of Israel and the blood of the church, is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit granted by the Father because of the work of the Son. See how we even get Trinity into this? Those things are good because they are what God has given, not because of us, not because we've decided, but because he has declared. And we do them not because they save us, but because he has saved us, and this is how he has told us that we worship. So we assemble. We praise. We pray. We read, we study, and we grow. And by doing these things, we are connected not just to God, but to fellow believers here, tither, and yon that we have met, that we have not met. And the people that we will glory in the kingdom with are the people that we commune with day in and day out, whether we're there, whether we're here, whether we're anywhere, because that is how God has connected us, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, because there is one Lord. So when someone gives you the Lone Ranger thing, just go, cool deal, Kane, and then watch their head just explode and recognize that, you know what, maybe he is still wandering, not in physical body, but in spirit. So what did we learn today, children? We learned God has ordained worship, not us. False worship is a serious sin against God and that we have an obligation to worship him rightly because of who he is and what he has done. Now, if you'd like to argue with me on this one, I would love to hear it. So info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can drop a line there. I might even forward it to Lou if he ever gets out of quarantine and off work so that he can answer some of these. And we'll have some fun with that. You can go to the website for the ministry, practicaltheologyministries.com. There you can find our newsletter where you can subscribe to that. Get it delivered right to your email inbox every month. You can also find past podcast episodes. You can find some uh, resources on Bible reading. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter through that avenue as well. And you can also find us on a Sunday morning at Calvary Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois. You're welcome to worship with us if you ever get out of quarantine again. And in the meantime, on this exact channel, you can follow our worship services where the people of God are actually doing the worship of God week in and week out, regardless of what the government tells us we can do and what we can't do, because we worship God safely and smartly, but we worship 
God. So until we meet again, enjoy not being a heretic. Enjoy defending the faith against the heretics. Read your Bible, pray. It'll do you good, and we'll see you next time. Bye.